The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. We're welcoming the whole world. If you want to run with the game changers and make the world run better, you are in the right place. Let's check and see what the buzz on the street is. Oh, this is a good one. This will resonate with everybody around the world and our listening audience. The buzz is a quote from Lee Smith of PTC, and I found this in an article in IndustryWeek.com dating back to March 7, 2014, so just about three years ago. Here we go. Imagine if your washing machine itself was the diagnostician monitoring uh, monitoring machine behavior and sending alerts to the service department ahead of failures. It's scheduling a service call and ordering the service parts, period. I'm going to add an exclamation and a question mark and saying, really? Wouldn't that be cool? So what are we talking about here? High-tech companies are increasingly adapting their business models to deliver outcomes, not just products, to customers. So think about this. The washing machine, it's an appliance. It sits maybe in your kitchen or in a little separate room or in your basement Maybe your attic if you have a lot, a lot of lines coming down with the water in your house or your apartment. And it's just sitting there and you're wondering, well, is the belt going to go? Is the motor doing well? Why is it making that funny noise? And what if the machine could self-correct or at least self-alert? We're calling this the outcome-based economy. It's happening. How? It's being enabled by digital technologies. Of course, one of our favorite topics here. And what does this include? IOT, Internet of Things sensors. Come on, you need little things inside the machine that are going to sense when it's about to break or when it's about to flood. Wouldn't you like to know that? It deals with IOT sensors as well as big data and analytics and nearly unlimited bandwidth for all of this to happen. So doing business in this new environment requires your organization, whatever your company, wherever you are in the world, you have to control your products, okay, Using sensors, you have to collect the data usage. How often are they being used? What kind of condition are they in? Uh, what kind of condition are the parts in? Are they on the verge of a collapse or a failure? Then you have to look at all this data. You have to analyze it. And you have to get the outcome insights. What would happen if? And then you also have to build an extended ecosystem with your business partners and your customers. That's a lot of work. All I can say is, are you ready, manufacturers around the world? We have two excellent experts on our panel today who are going to tell us more and help you figure out how to get this job done. 
First up, in just a moment, I will be welcoming Dave Carlisle, the CTO for HPE, that's Hewlett Packard Enterprises IT Function. And joining him on the panel is Manfred Kopisch, Director of Solution Management at SAP. Delighted to have them both. And now let's start with Dave Carlisle. Davis sent me a quote from Leonardo da Vinci. Come on, you all know Leonardo. His original name was Leonardo de Serpiero da Vinci, 1452 to 1519, commonly known as just Leonardo. He was a polymath whose areas of interest included invention, painting, sculpting, architecture, science, museum, math, engineering, literature, anatomy, geology, astronomy, bot, this guy never slept, botany, writing, history, and cartography. He was variously called the father of paleontology and credited with being the Renaissance humanist ideal. I hope he slept once in a while. Here's the quote Dave Carlisle has selected from Leonardo. Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Dave Carlisle, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Doing great. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks for joining me. Love the quote from Leonardo. We haven't had a quote from him in a long time, so I should welcome Da Vinci to the show, I guess. Uh, Dave, tell me something. Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. We're talking about outcome based economy. We're talking about equipping machines to tell the future, if you will, to tell the truth about what's happening with them and what you need to know. So talk to me about this quote. How does it apply to our topic? Yeah, I think it's funny. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's extremely relevant to to our topic and our, our times just in general. So um, if you look at the, uh, the the world today, right, we have increasing uh, ever-increasing amounts of compute capacity available to us, of, of data and instrumentation. So you gave, you know, a lot of instrumentation examples and um, uh, just a bit ago. Um, and all of this brings um, a lot of opportunity to us. But it, from one perspective, it, it makes our worlds more complex. There's more things to think about. We have to think broader than our traditional product boundaries um, and, and more around the outcomes and the experiences uh, that our customers and partners want and need from us. Um, and so there's this element of there's this growing opportunities, disruptive technology, more data than we could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like I said, there's some complexity with that. But the, what most of us crave, both in our personal lives and increasingly in our professional lives, is, is simplicity. Um, whether that's um, whether that's a, a, a UX and a, you know a beautiful UX that takes a mm-hmm. complicated process that has all sorts of um, uh, you know, artificial intelligence and, and, and analytics behind it, driving it, and distills it down and makes it really, really simple, right? And so um, I think it's easy. It can be easy if we take a, you know, if we, if we don't stretch, um, if we just kind of take the easy way out. Um, it's easy to make things complex in terms of the experience that people see. Um, it's, it's actually more difficult. You have, to, you have to put more conscious thought into taking you know, what might be a complex problem with a lot of complex data points um, and distilling it down and making it intuitive and making it simple. Um, and so that's why I think the quote is relevant. It's relevant from an architectural standpoint on the back end mm-hmm. in terms of how do we bring simplicity into our architectures and be able to scale and adapt and uh, to change faster, and then it's at the other end of the wire. It's relevant to you know from an experience standpoint. How do we take complex problems and and make them simple and make them beautiful from a from a UX standpoint? So, so I think it's relevant for for um, for our current times. So. 
Thank you, Dave. Very interesting. May I introduce the word elegant into what you said, complexity, sophistication, and elegance where the solution just works. It's seamless. It flows. We don't have to sit up scratching our heads overnight. Will the washing machine talk to the service department or not? We're looking for yeah. an elegance. I think that's what da Vinci found, don't you think so, in a lot of his inventions? Yeah, yeah, I think so. He, you know, you have to, in, in true to his term, right? In order to, in order to bring simplicity and elegance to, uh, to, our, uh, to your term, um, you've you've got to have some sophistication. You've got to bring some intelligence and some, um, some strong thought leadership to to take this, take this world and all of the APIs and the data, et cetera, et cetera, and and do elegant things with them. Thank you. I like that word, elegant. Uh, Dave Carlisle, you have such a relaxing and soothing voice. You're just, I'm, I'm coming down about 15 notches from when I opened the show. So thank you very much. We'll talk to you in just a minute. We are really, really happy to have you here today, Dave. So thank you for joining thank us. You. And now let's welcome our second panelist. This is a two-person panel, so they're going to be working hard to share a lot of their insights and thought leadership with us. Of course, our second guest today is Manfred Kopisch. If you're looking him up, it's K-O-P-I-S-C-H, Director of Solution Management at SAP. And, and Manfred has sent me a surprise quote. Not that the quote is surprising, but the author is surprising. If I tell you all that it's a quote from Winston Churchill, you'll say, Bonnie, why aren't you saying Sir Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of the of, of England, of UK? The answer is it's not. It's the other Winston Churchill. This one was an American novelist. He lived from 1871, born in St. Louis, Missouri. 1871, passed away in 1947. And the way I found him online is this is not the British Prime Minister, Sir Winston Spencer Churchill. This is the American novelist. Uh, he's the son of Edward Spalding and Emma Blaine, Emma Bell Blaine Churchill. He attended Smith Academy in Missouri and the U.S. Naval Academy, and he was an editor of the Army and Navy Journal. And he left his assignment at the Navy to pursue a career in writing. He wanted to be a novelist, a published poet, and essayist. And in fact, he was. His first novel was called The Celebrity in 1898, and uh, he published something called Mr. Keegan's Elopement in 1896 in a magazine, <laughs> and then released it a few years later as a hardback book. Oh my goodness, Willis illustrations. Here's the quote. It's a great quote. Plans are of little importance, but planning is essential. Manfred Kopisch, thank you for the introduction to the other Winston Churchill. How are you, Manfred? I'm fine. Thank you for it's joining me. Talk to me about the, How did you find the quote? How did you find the other one? It, it applies to my my uh, personal life. Uh, let me let me go a little bit into uh, why I yes. like this quote so much. I mean, every year I take my kids on a month long backpacking expedition into the wilderness, like going 400 miles across Alaska, for example. And um, for those expeditions, I'm planning like let's say for two or three months every little detail: our route, our gear, our food, potential emergencies, everything. I mean, after all, the well-being of my kids depends on it. And um, every year, it turns out that the plan itself is, is not really important and doesn't actually work out the way it's, it's written down um, because things happen. Uh, you encounter an uncrossable mountain pass that looked crossable on the USGS topo map <laughs> or you mm -hmm. have sudden grizzly encounter, or um, things like that. Um, so the ability to deviate from the plan and deal with situations like that uh, comes from all the planning. The planning itself is essential, 
And the planning allows you to get successful through the wilderness. Um, the plan itself is of little importance. And I think that applies um, in the business today and especially for outcome-based economy as well. Uh, manufacturing companies need to start planning for it now. The, the plan they come up with is, is really of little importance, but the planning itself is essential for them. Otherwise, so, um, yep. I, I was going to say, in, in the, the example I gave Manfred in the opening of the washing machine, I, I kind of like that one, um, <laughs> you're, you're asking the, the product, the item, the inanimate object, which really, in a sense, if you empower it with sensors, it's not quite so inanimate other than shaking and making noise and having electricity and water flowing through a washing machine, but that becomes the planner, doesn't it? That, that takes over the planning for, in other words, it has the, the brain, quote-unquote, to say, aha, Belt number one about to break. I will notify repair person to send new belt so that Mr. Kopish will not have to have a flood in his basement. I mean, if you think about it, is all that going on in the background silently? And to use a word I use with Dave Carlisle, elegantly, what do you think? Um, yes, but I think it goes way, way, way beyond that. Uh, the machine... Okay. Uh, having sensors and realizing whether the belt or anything else uh, needs attention is just a little part, a small part of the puzzle. Companies need to plan a whole ecosystem. For example, the service person, the repairman that comes out to put in the spare part before your washing machine breaks down mm -hmm. is most likely uh, from a third party. Um, so the manufacturer of these washing machines needs to have an extensive ecosystem of, of service technicians, needs to know about their schedules. I mean, what does it help if the machine knows it will break down pretty soon, but you can't get a service technician there to exchange the part before it breaks? Um, so way more planning needs to go into that than just equipping the machine with sensors and, and having the data available to analyze very interesting. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that's where the ecosystem comes in. Appreciate yeah. that. Thank you, Manfred. I'm, I'm learning along with you, and I'm learning from you and from Dave. Thank you. And let's circle back to Dave Carlisle. Dave, this is the part of the show called What's in Your Cup Today. We get a little bit up close and personal. We'd love to know where are you calling from. I don't want the Google coordinates of the roof of your office or your house. Not that personal. We'd love to know what part of the world are you calling from. And Dave, what are you drinking that makes you really, really happy? If it's not in your cup right now, tell us what it would be. Go ahead, Dave Carlisle. All right. Okay. So I'm calling from uh, sunny Northern California. We actually have a break and, and some of the rain that we've been getting. Um, and uh, I actually have some... Uh, High octane coffee and uh, mixed with some uh, coconut milk uh, in my cup. So I'm uh, fueled up and ready to go here. Oh, that sounds good. Okay, thank you very much. And Mr. Kopish, where are you calling from, and what's in your cup in between travels and, and uh, camping trips? What are you What are you doing right now? Okay, so I'm calling from uh, Palo Alto in California. As uh, Dave mentions, it's sunny here. Um, what's in my cup? Uh, nothing fancy. It's just water. Um, <laughs> as, uh, as I said before, I usually live for months in the wilderness, and I really, really like the fresh cold water from glacier-fed streams. Mm. And here in the Bay Area, we are extremely lucky that we get our water from the Hetch Hetchy Reservoir in Yosemite National Park, which tastes excellent. 
That sounds wonderful. I like the idea of cool, clear water. I haven't had stream water in a long, long time. However, uh, you two don't know me, but my listeners know that they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. And (laughs) Thursday and Tuesday are doubleheader days. I have a couple of hours in between shows today. So all I'm allowed to drink is a cool, clear glass of cool, clear water, not from a stream, Manfred. It's from a Brita filter pitcher (laughs) in my refrigerator, but it's the best I could do. And I have a green straw in my glass today, in my cup. I usually have a pink or or an orangey straw hoping for sunshine. That's what I should have. It is raining here, gentlemen. I'm on the north shore of Long Island in New York, about, oh, about a mile and a half from the Queens border, which is the, the, uh, I guess you call it the eastern edge of New York City uh, boroughs. And it's raining, not pouring, not nasty, just enough that the windshield wipers are on the cars outside my office. But the point is that I have a green straw because I'm celebrating all the beautiful blossoms outside. The pear trees are blossoming and the daffodils are have their head up off the ground today. They were down on the ground in great sorrow because they came up so early. We then had snow and freezing temperatures and the daffodils were very sad. But they're, they're looking up. The pansies are in my flower boxes looking beautiful and happy today. So I'm celebrating the green of spring slash almost summer. It was almost 90 degrees here a week ago. I can't believe this. I don't know if it's global warming, but somebody's playing, uh, wreaking havoc with our temperature scales around here. So we're going to take a quick break, but we're talking about a very important topic. This is for manufacturers. However, if you have any appliances, any devices, anything that are part of this economy, even as a consumer, this topic should interest you very much. I think it really appeals to anyone who wants to know what's going on with those things you buy that have the option to break. We used to talk about built-in obsolescence. Let me just ask Dave and Manfred quickly, is that term obsolete now, built-in obsolescence, if we have outcome-based sensors? in our, our appliances. Dave, does that mean there's no more built-in obsolescence? I, I, I think everything everything's moving towards a, a continuous world, if you will. So, um, so you're, you know, a, a, a device, even if it's a, phys- a physical device uh, somewhere, um, increasingly those are going to be software, um, you know, software-driven. At some point, that device, that physical device will be refreshed, but the customer's experience is going to be, you know, is going to be continue to be materially different. So, um, you know, you can use it, you know, well-known examples of, uh, you know, cars uh, today in terms of, um, you know, well, I'll just say their name. So a Tesla. Um, mm-hmm. That device, right, is increasingly, you know, a device will be increasingly software-driven, continuous innovation streaming down to that device, updates to that device. So, so, um, so it's not really... It's not really these, these these fixed periods of time where 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 you have an obsolescence of a of a, a traditional product, um, and a customer only sees evolution in their experience at, at fixed intervals. You know, it's a continuous a continuous innovation cycle, um, and the opportunity to stream you know continuous innovation directly to those customers on an ongoing basis. So so I think it does materially change. Thank you very much, Manfred. Anything you want to say about that before we go to break? Any thoughts? Yeah, I would go beyond that. Uh, I think many physical devices, as uh, Dave said, uh, will become obsolete. I mean, we all remember record players who's, who's still using them. Uh, you are <laughs> streaming your music. The same with, with movies. Uh, you don't need a DVD any longer to stream it, uh, to, to watch your movie on uh, your TV at home. Uh, you, you just stream it. And the same thing will happen... Um, to, to other physical devices. They will become obsolete and will be replaced uh, by software. 
Thank you very much. I think we're all optimistic about this whole thing. And on that note, I'm going to give Dave Carlisle at HPE and Manfred Kopisch at SAP a little break of 90 seconds. We're going to go out. And while we do that, Dave and I are going to look at his notes and see where we're going to start the roundtable discussion when we come back. So don't even think of touching the... Oh, the sun came out. Gentlemen, I talked about it. It's here. You made the rain stop. Dave and Manfred, miracle workers. Talk about outcome-based. I put a wish into the machine and the two of you... I'm giving you a lot of power here today. So to our listeners, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. I promise we'll have a great outcome too. Kevin, out. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The manufacturing world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly industry leaders address new trends, overcome new challenges, and take advantage of new technologies. The aerospace, chemicals, high-tech, and industrial sectors are at the forefront of transforming manufacturing operations to truly change the game. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how innovations are driving new challenges and trends across various manufacturing sectors. The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of manufacturing with Game Changers. Indeed, the future of manufacturing, I think it's already here. I have to do a shout-out to Thomas Pohl at SAP, who is listening. He's tweeting. He's using the handle. If you want to look for him, look for hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O, and he's using the handle AeroPohl, A-E-R-O-P-O-H-L. There, Thomas, the secret is out. We're also getting nice tweets from SAP High Tech, H-I-G-H-T-E-C-H, following SAP. So anybody who wants to tweet while you're listening, we would love to see that. Just please use the hashtag. S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Talking today with Dave Carlisle at HPE and Manfred Kopisch at SAP. And our topic today is the outcome-based economy and the future of manufacturing. We've already had a good intro to the topic, washing machines that know when they are about to break, and companies with plenty of ecosystem partners that can dispatch a repair person. Wouldn't it be nice if the machine could just... 3D print its own part inside and wouldn't have to call a repair person. But I'm, I'm dreaming. I must be dreaming. Uh, let's talk to Dave Carlisle now. I'm going to read one of his statements from his notes before the show to kick off our roundtable segment. And then Dave will comment on it. And then Manfred will add his POV. So Dave says, in the outcome-based economy, 
what we compete on can fundamentally change. And he adds, it can be materially less on traditional product specs and much more encompassing of a far broader experience. Sounds very expansive. Dave Carlisle, please tell us more. Yeah, I think um, I think we live in a really, really interesting time. And, and to you know, connect it back to some of the comments that we were making earlier, um, there's more, you know, there's there's more data, there's more compute, there's more APIs that are available to us now than there ever were before, um, and you can do incredibly interesting things with those. Um, and um, and the expectation of folks that have, have done interesting things with those in terms of redefining industries and changing experiences are are setting expectations for, you know, for really for all of us. Um, and so the my comment about it's not necessarily about traditional specs, if you will. You know, you, we still might be producing a physical good um, and, you know, roll the clock back some, some years. We might have been historically kind of competing around just the specs on the widget, you know, and, you know, the speeds and feeds and those kinds of things. Um, that's not really, um, while some of that stuff is still, still relevant um, in, in different contexts, a lot of times that's not what the what the compete points are um, and it's not uh, that isn't directly uh, addressing all of the the customer experiences and so you can kind of think of in some cases a physical a physical good that we might be manufacturing almost itself as a you know as, as a platform if you will um, and so the the expectations around experience around that platform um, and what it can do uh, how simple it is to operate um, et cetera et cetera uh, the expectations from 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 my standpoint and from the, where I'm at in terms of the, the company that I work for, the expectations have radically shifted, um, and and so I, and I think we see that across you know across industries in terms of uh, people bring, being able to bring disruptive you know technology and intermix it with you know traditional physical products to create an entirely different experience an entirely different ecosystem. Um, and so the expectations are different. The outcomes that the customers are looking for are different, um, and that that does put different, uh, you know, materially different requirements um, for many companies uh, back on onto their product offerings or, and their solution offerings. And um, and I think it takes, uh, you know, for for a lot of us that are traditional. Uh, manufacturers, um, you know, I know there's a little bit of a buzzword around software defined, you know, but but there's some realness to it. There's some truth to it, um, and uh, and and so things that might not have been in the historical wheelhouse in terms of competencies suddenly become a integral part of your you know of a solution offering uh, to you know to your customer, and that might be not something you're able to develop you know in in house because there's so much innovation out there that you know we we can't. Um, no one company can produce it all, um, and so you might be heavily partnered for for things that might be software defined that are now suddenly an intimate part of your your actual uh, overall product experience. Um, so it's 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 an interesting time right now. Very interesting. You brought up so many interesting parts of this topic, Dave. I'm going to let Manfred Kopisch comment, and then we'll go back to you in a few minutes. Manfred, please share your thoughts. Sure, I'd like to extend a little bit um, and and uh, build a little arc from from products. I mean, if you if you look at your company, Dave uh, Hewlett Packard and OEMs, so original equipment manufacturer. Um, originally, um, your company was all about the product and manufacturing products, and as you said, you competed um, on specs, faster processors, more RAM, etc. And and you mentioned. Uh, solution several times, and I think that that was the next step in this evolution of business models, where 
companies like yours realize that they cannot compete any longer on the manufactured product itself, but had to add software and services for a complete solution that would address the customer's needs. And, and now in the next step, we get to the outcome-based economy where the end customer uh, requires an outcome and isn't any longer interested in the product itself. That's just mm-hmm. a means to an end. And I can imagine, like, let's take an example, um, someone cooking and looking up a recipe on a computer, uh, which many people have done. Uh, mm-hmm. Nowadays, more and more people um, get rid of their computer in the kitchen and they just have an Amazon Echo or Google Home or so. They, just, they, they don't want to with their uh, fatty uh, <laughs> fingers get on the keyboard. <laughs> the, the, the computer itself is not needed any longer for the outcome. The outcome is to know what's the next step in my recipe. That, that's what I want to know. I don't necessarily need a computer uh, for that. And that is the fundamental shift you are talking about and that's... that's um, the realness you are talking about, where manufacturing companies need to to realize this, internalize it, and start start planning for this outcome um, based economy. Uh, just betting on products uh, might be a losing proposition. Very interesting. I, I yeah. still run to the keyboard, Manfred, when I need a <laughs> recipe because my office and my kitchen are about eight feet apart. So I do try to dry my hands and I run in and I say, well, which of my three keyboards am I going to get messed up with the cookie dough while I'm finding out how to change the recipe? Dave Carlisle, I know you want to comment on what Manfred said. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I just, I, I'd add in that, you know, the outcomes, I think it, it's easy for us to talk about you know, um, uh, instrumented devices and those kinds of those kinds of things, and shifting uh, user experience expectations and those kinds of things. Um, but you know, I, I think for a number of us, a number of different industries, a number of different manufacturing segments, um, I, I think there's you know the outcomes also include the you know the financial architectures and the financial outcomes that, that customers are, are are looking for. So the the expectations as far as how they consume. Um, and pay for even what you you're providing in some cases might be materially different. Um, so um, so in our case, for example, uh, someone might a customer might be uh, you, you know procuring uh, physical infrastructure in a traditional model, um, but they also uh, can and do uh, pro, uh, pro, uh, provision infrastructure that's even on-prem that is that is consumed as a service. You know, um, and so some of the you know, some of when the customers are you know looking at at how they consume your products and offerings, uh, depending on what segment you're in, there might be some pretty materially different uh, financial outcomes that the customer is looking looking for. So they they might want to consume you know the classic kind of capex versus opex type stuff, but um, but they're also looking to be able to to only use potentially you know and pay for you know the capacity that you're providing, whatever type of of physical capacity that is. Only when they only when they you know only want to pay for what they're actually using, right? And so the the I think the pressures on us from a from an outcome standpoint can be really really diverse. There's the I think the the easier items in terms of examples that people are aware of in terms of the instrumentation, but it can range all the way from that all the way to um, you know a shift in the uh, financial uh, architectures and the the outcome expectations that the, the customers have too. So. 
Thank you. I, I'm going to throw a question into both of you. Dave, let me start with you. When we talk about customer expectations, which customers are these? Are these, I'm going to throw in some demographic cohort terms here, are they millennials? Are they Gen Xers? Are they boomers uh, like me who maybe read about this stuff and say, gee, I'd really love to have an outcome-based washing machine next time I replace my appliances. Who are these customers and where are they getting the ideas to have more expectations? Is it through reading? Is it through uh, television programs on innovation? Is it through their jobs, perhaps, in the manufacturing area or in the software area? So, Dave, where are these expectations coming from, and who has these expectations? Yeah, so it's pretty much all of the above as far as the, the touch points that you, you touched on there. Um, I think it's, you know, from a I'll touch on the generational element, um, uh, you know, user, you know, Think about the power that, that's in everybody's hands today and how intuitive that experience is. Um, and some, some of us in the world, um, uh, not myself, um, but that's, that's what they started out with, right? That's their first, their first entry point into, um, you know, into, uh, comp- you know, a digital world and what a digital experience is. And most of those experiences are extremely intuitive. So take a person, um, that those, you know, a person like that and bring them into a traditional, uh, corporate enterprise environment, and they might be looking at, you know, at screens that are 20, 30 years old, potentially even, you know, um, with, mm-hmm. that were done, uh, that come nowhere close to the, the, you know, the user experience expectations that that person has based upon their own personal, uh, digital life, if you will. Um, then I think the, you know, the, the pressures that we're all under, um, in terms of, uh, speed and agility, um, and how fast things are moving these days, those drive whole sets of you know uh, of different you know expectations, um, uh, and then I think in terms of who the customer is and who's dr- driving things, um, the traditional you know engagement point or the traditional you know direct customer, the person that you you as a as a company might have talked to in in the sales relationship that you you that might be still the direct touch point, but the the you know their customer is 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 actually what is is driving. You know, a lot of um, a, a lot of requirements and, and expectations in some cases. So the the level of intimacy um, that you have mm-hmm. to have in terms of uh, you know getting close to the, the the real end end game. So if you take the you know Deming five whys and you have you know you just keep going, um, you, you can get to, you can get to a, a very different set of expectations. And so everybody's trying to move faster, um, and everybody you know you can you can stack the expectation you know, on top of each other. So everybody's, you know, there's a whole series of ch- a chain of folks in the, you know, in the chain that, that, uh, that are all facing these similar pressures. So, so anyway, so I think it's, it's, uh, it does shift in some cases who the, you know, who the key customers are, who the key decision makers are, um, might be different because the outcomes, um, that, that the company, a, a given entity is trying to drive are, are, are different. Thank you, Dave. And while you were talking, uh, just give me a second here, man. For while you're talking, I looked up the five whys. Is this the the example of the five whys? Uh, for example, on Wikipedia, they give an example of the vehicle will not start, why the battery is dead, the alternator is not functioning, the alternator belt is broken. Yeah. Are those the five whys yeah. we're looking at? Yeah, yeah. I'm, so, so you might you might you, know, you might hear something as far as a requirement, uh, you know. But but then if you start to really explore that, you might actually find a completely different opportunity. And, and that the root reason why, you know, that was being asked it actually is, is, is opens up a whole new, whole new world in a different, you know, so I think that level of intimacy as far as how close you can get to what, 
is really driving behavior, what's really driving someone stating that they need something, um, you know, is, is more important now than I think, I think ever, because that, that could, in some cases, really change your thought process and, you know, expand horizons and think differently about the type of experience you're providing and the types of outcomes that ultimately you need to, need to be able to provide. Thank you. Very interesting. I learned something. Manfred, love to get you chiming in on this. Five whys. Anything else uh, what I asked Dave about which demographic or all of the above are interested in escalating their expectations to manufacturers in our outcome-based economy? Manfred, what are your thoughts? I'd I'd like to uh, divide that uh, into two areas. Uh, One, the consumer and customers, and and second, uh, businesses. Let's let's start uh, with with businesses. Um, they are under immense pressure um, in regard to their their margins, and the outcome based economy allows them to just pay literally for the outcome for the results. Um, mm-hmm. Let's take an example of of airlines not any longer um, buying the jet engines for their planes, but just buying the uptime of the jet engine and, and mm-hmm. all jet engine manufacturers had to adapt to that model. Um, and going to the end, uh, customer, the consumer, I mean, I just look at my kids. Uh, they don't need a car any longer because they are just interested in the outcome to get from A to B and they can Uber. And so why, why should they go through the hassle of owning a car and maintaining it uh, Etc. The only thing that counts for them is the outcome. So that, of course, changes um, the whole landscape for car manufacturers if upcoming generations don't necessarily want to own a car. Interesting. I, I have a different take on that. I think you're both going to get a kick on this. I have I have a 2008 <laughs> Nissan 350Z, one of the last ones in that series before they came out with a 370. It's midnight blue. It's a ragtop. It's adorable. It's a great stereo in it. <laughs> and my outcome is driving down the street in this car and having people approach me and saying, do you want to sell your car? And the answer is no. And it's usually from middle-aged men. I, they're, they're not even, they're not hitting on me. They just say, oh, I had a car. I used to, and this is my fourth Z. So as a female driver of a sports car in a fairly metropolitan area, I love the outcome of the feeling. So this is something I think we're going to be taking away from, from our kids if they don't have that thrill and the terrible expense and burden of cars that don't tell you when the tire is about to go flat. So, so they are talking about outcomes. So I, I just was doing a little interpretation here. Dave, I asked you and, and Manfred about who are the customers with expectations. Some of us still have different outcome expectations that are, are not what uh, the new economy may think. So I'll just leave that one on the road there for a second, no pun intended. <laughs> so thank you for the discussion, gentlemen. I'm, I'm looking here at some details from Manfred's notes. Manfred, let, let's get down to the, the guts of the part of the conversation about how do – we talked about ecosystem. We talked about outcome-based. That's our topic today. Talking about how do those sensors need to be incorporated into the products. And, and you told me in your notes that there are three steps to this. I went over it very quickly in my intro, but I'd love to have you take us through it as a lesson for a lesson plan, if you will, for manufacturers who may be listening. What are, are the reasons? What are the steps? What are the processes for putting sensors into products that change everything, change the landscape on what those products are good for and the outcome-based expectations. Go ahead, Manfred. Sure, Bonnie. 
Um, there's a lot of talk about IoT, Internet of Things, nowadays, and in my opinion, that's just the first step, adding sensors to products uh, so that you can collect data about how the products are used and, and even controlling them. Um, but now that you collect all these data, you need to combine that with advanced analytics so that you can make sense out of this huge amount of data and get insights into the outcomes you're delivering um, to the customer. And, and that is the second step. And if you, as a manufacturer, want to succeed in this outcome-based economy and, and consistently provide uh, the end customer with the outcomes they are asking for, uh, then you need to take the third step and build an extended ecosystem of business partners um, and customers. I think they are included in this ecosystem too. You need to partner with the customer and third parties. I mentioned the service technician in your washing machine example to provide mm -hmm. the outcomes to the end customers. <clears throat> okay, let's get Dave's thought on this. Dave, do you agree with these three parts of the process? Yeah, I do. I do. And just to, to, just to expand a little bit, I do think, mm -hmm. um, you know, with, uh, with a lot of what's going on around IoT, um, I think it's easy to just talk about instrumented, you know, devices, but that's uh, to Manfred's core point. You know, just, just instrumenting something is, is so not enough. Um, and so, the um, you know, when you look at, at what can be done um, in terms of the you know, the, the compute um, power that we have available to us um, actually on device. So if you think about a, a, um, an electronic car, if you think about a robotics uh, platform, uh, manufacturing assembly platform, um, the amount of um, the amount of compute that can be brought to the table, um, not just so it's not just about instrumenting. So you're streaming data back, you know, to, to a, a, you know, to a mothership data center, if you will. Um, but the amount of compute and the, the distributed nature of it, you might have, you know, terabytes of, if you look at a, an electronic, a self-driving car, right, there's effectively a data center in the trunk, uh, you know, in the, in the classic trunk, if you will. Um, so what you can what you can do with that instrumentation, the amount of compute and analytics that you can bring to the table to change the experience, to make it better, to uh, further automate processes, you know, that's, that's, that's what's really going to drive the, you know, the change in the experience and the opportunity to influence the outcomes. And so, um, so I think it's, it's, it's really important to move beyond the, you know, just the, the you know, kind of block and tackle instrumentation, but uh, really expanding horizons as far as what could you do with how much compute you can bring to the table, both in with some within the classic traditional data center standpoint, but also in terms of actually on device, what can you do with that? What can what what outcomes can you shift? What experiences can you change? And so I think that's um, and that to Manfred's comment about partnerships and uh, um, and also to my earlier comments about you know that it's impossible to to have one organization create you know all of the innovation um, that, that you know that, that a, a modern company might need right and so so whether it's it's you know speech uh, recognition in your product I mean you, you you will increasingly be partnered you know for uh, access to those capabilities frequently as an API as a service consumed as a service uh, but a fundamental part of your, you know, your product offering and incorporated in. So. Thank you very much. Interesting. I, I'm going to ask a question to both of you. 
When we talk about building that ecosystem where we talked about a manufacturer isn't just making a product of high quality, hopefully, at a competitive price, hopefully, the paradigm shift has happened and they've now got to look at what, what happens with that product. How does it talk and walk and think and move and, and what is its future and what is it going to give the, the person or the company, the organization, uh, the, the city or the state, whoever's going to be using it? So the question is, how do you know how to build that ecosystem? And Fred, I'll address this to you and we'll ask Dave as well. How do you know which partners are going to be the right ones? I don't know if all IoT sensors are created equal, but how do you know which company you want to work with to embed those sensors, to embed that intelligence into your products that are going to make them a winner? So you can say, we provide high-quality products with high-quality sensors at competitive prices and desirable outcomes. Did I hit hit all the all the hot spots there, Manfred? Did I get them all? <laughs> Many of those. Um, and and uh, I'd I'd like to go even beyond that. Uh, so yes. to your your question: uh, How how do I find the right partners uh, for my ecosystem? I I would like to extend that and and loop back to what Dave said uh, when when he talked about. Um, Big manufacturing companies are not necessarily able to do everything that is needed to move forward in this outcome-based economy, and he mentioned speech recognition. Um, I think uh, not only do you need to find the right partners, and that goes beyond uh, just service partners that I mentioned before. It, it uh, you, you need software partners. Uh, that uh, help you to um, develop the software that is needed to uh, drive, um, interpret, uh, analyze uh, these sensors, the data that that come from your products. Um, We need to go beyond that. Manufacturing companies need to go beyond that, and actually many do, and they need to invest right now already into new ideas, and and, uh, Siemens is an example. They have set up an Mm -hmm. industry of the future fund where they invest into uh, pioneering startups. I think quite often they don't even know what exactly they are looking for. They just uh, are looking for creative new ideas uh, that help them create... um, new opportunities in the outcome-based economy to to make use of, of their offerings. Interesting. I'm going to offer. throw something into this. Uh, we yesterday on our series, it was a Tuesday, but we have a series called Startup Focus with Game Changers. You may, both of you may be familiar with SAP has a program called Startup Focus where they yep. work mm-hmm. with uh, not necessarily just idea people, but people who already, many of them are serial entrepreneurs who've had one or more companies that are successful. And the topic was dancing with the elephants. And it wasn't a show about the circus. It was a show about the innovative companies, the the younger companies dancing and playing in the sandbox, if you will, or or in the circus tent with, with bigger established companies because innovation is so difficult for established companies. I'm going to insert the word manufacturers that they need to look outside their four walls or however you define their 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 space uh, and say to new companies bring us the creativity bring us the innovation bring us the incubation of ideas so manfred it sounds like that's what siemens is doing with their industry of the future fund investing in, in newer companies to bring in that innovation am i on the right track here 
Yes, you're on the right track. And uh, I, I think uh, it's safe to say that many of these established big uh, older manufacturing companies um, need to do this outside of their own buildings because there is a tendency to suffocate <laughs> new ideas because, of course, people have done things forever. They know exactly how to do them and they do them well and they have... Um, done them over decades better and better and better and um, that leads quite often to a climate where new out-of-the-box ideas get suffocated before they can can bloom and develop mm-hmm. into something. Very yeah, much. Dave for, Carlisle. Dave, go ahead. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think for, for, for large companies, I think the I think for a lot of companies, there's you know there's there is that innate you know um, recognition now that that um, you know the rate of innovation and the ability to uh, to move quicker is, is is a fundamental. Now I won't be able to do everything, right? So uh, Manfred's uh, Siemens example is a good one. Um, we have a similar program called Pathfinder um, within uh, from an HPE standpoint. Um, but I think the, uh, it, you know, you look at large companies, I, I, General Electric uh, also comes to mind in terms of a lot of the shifts that, the, that they have made. Um, I think it's, it is imperative while there's a, um, can't, not going to be able to generate all of the innovation internally, um, it's imperative for, for, for traditional companies to, to pick up the innovation uh, pace. Um, and I think there's lots of good examples as far as uh, larger organizations that are, that are making shifts, but it's not it's not one shift, right? It's a series of uh, of different things. It's multifaceted, and it's 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 a combination of of being able to shift the internal processes and the internal culture, um, and it's also um, you know being able to partner, and it's also being able to drive the investments. But I think the the investments, um, you know, it's fascinating because there are a lot of companies and a lot of companies that you might not expect. That are investing in things that are, you know, very different from from what they what they have done before, and it's it's you know to Manfred's comments, and, and it dovetails right into our overall topic today in terms of um, being you know looking outside and trying to be innovative and trying to stretch and and planting seeds and seeing which uh, which you know which sprout so. That's it. It's gardening time. I talked about my green straw. We've got, we've come full circle. Thank you very much. You know what? We are technically we're in the crystal ball predictions round. Talk about innovative new ideas. This is a really fascinating topic, and I appreciate all the insights from Dave Carlisle and, and Manfred Kopish, and of course all the tweets coming from SAP High Tech and Thomas Pohl as well at hashtag SAP Radio. What I'm interested in now is finding out what you predict for the future, Dave and Manfred. We have plenty of time because there are just two of you. I can give you each about two minutes. That's way more than we usually do when we have three or four panelists. Look into the crystal ball at HPE, Dave Carlisle, please, and tell us, what do you see coming down the pike? I'm focusing on the year 2020, which sounds so wonderful. We listened to Barbara Walters say it for so many years, 2020, and now it's almost here. It's three New Year's Eve's away, as somebody told me recently. I hope you're making your plans for a party <laughs> and uh, putting away the putting away the good champagne. I asked somebody on the, one of our shows yesterday if they were doing it. They said they'd already popped the cork and were already drinking it, so they didn't know what would be left by 2020. But Dave, seriously, look into the crystal ball and tell us what would be different about the outcome-based economy and the future of manufacturing somewhere in the vicinity of 2020 if that year appeals to you. If not, tell me how far out you can predict what would be really, really different if we met again to continue this discussion. Dave Carlisle, HPE, please go. 
Cool. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll go ahead and just use the 2020 as a marker. Um, I think there's there's a number of interesting uh, interesting things out there. So um, and, uh, if we look from an architectural standpoint, uh, we're on the cusp of some really fundamental shifts in compute architectures, um, which will drive a whole nother a whole nother round of of innovation and disruption uh, from a software standpoint. Um, and so. Uh, some of that will start to, um, you know, will start to actually hit and materialize in this in this kind of time frame. Um, so, kind of reversing the traditional. If you think about the traditional compute model, which was uh, really a limited amount of memory, um, and with with really the center of the universe being the CPU. If you kind of do a 180 on that, uh, where and imagine kind of almost, if you will, a somewhat infinite, you know, memory pools um, with CPUs being able to attach to those. Um, it's a very different. Um, we don't have time to discuss that all today, but uh, that has a very some very interesting implications uh, onto our our systems architectures, um, and that'll bring a whole a whole another round of uh, of innovation on the software side and change again the notion of how much you know how much compute and how much uh, capacity you can have actually on on device and what you could do with that. Um, so that's uh, that's one. I do think there's um, we'll see continued. Uh, um, continued shifts around the, the you know the intimacy that technology can can have in our lives um, and what it can drive. There's both pros and cons to that. Um, sometimes I like to disconnect, um, but uh, but I think we'll we'll continue to see um, uh, a lot more intimacy in uh, in terms of um, uh, what what devices, um, even wearables, can can do for us throughout our you know throughout our day and, and guide us. So um, so those are. Those are those are a couple, and then maybe uh, Manfred, you can go, and then let's see uh, let's, let's see what we uh, <laughs> yeah. I've got I saved two minutes here. for Manfred, so Manfred, you're up. Predictions, crystal ball, go ahead. Okay, my crystal ball for 2020 for the outcome-based economy. Um, so my, my degree is in computer science with a major in artificial intelligence, so of course I will have to talk about artificial intelligence. Um, I, I believe we will use artificial intelligence in, in real-time demand sensing, and um, we will use that together with, with a highly automated, very flexible uh, production and arrive at an economy that, that is, how should I phrase that, uh, pull-based. I mean, even your washing machine example is already, there is no human that makes a decision and says the, the spare part should be ordered, uh, the technician should come. The, the decision is taken away from you as a, as a human. And so this autonomous pull economy um, requires a pervasive use of automation and intelligent machines and and. Uh, complement that with human decisions and human labor. And I think that will change the future of, of our workforce dramatically and, and will require skill sets uh, that are different from today's uh, to succeed in this way more automated economy. Thank you. Yeah, Very uh, interesting. I, Different skill sets. So Dave, I'll give you a quick. Uh, you have thirty seconds here. Go ahead, comment, please. Yeah. No, I knew. I, do, I know Manfred's passionate about artificial intelligence. I, knew, <laughs> I had to stay away a little bit from that at the start. But yeah, just to back Manfred up there, I think the um, you know even where there's a human involvement uh, requirement 
right? The level of intelligence that's behind that guided, it's a guided process for that, for, you know, for the human being and the amount of information so, uh, that can be available and distilled down and presented to guide and help enrich that is, is I think just going to continue to go. There's huge investments going on. So that's going to continue to go through the, go through the roof. So the, the notion of the, old school OLTP, a transactional experience versus an analytic experience, you know, that that's just so old school these days, you know, um, and not the reality that we have to be focused on. So that the amount of artificial intelligence that's brought to the table, even where a human has to augment the process, is just going to continue to go through the roof. Thank you. And talk about human intervention. It's time for me to intervene and say, we're done. The show is over. We're out of time. Dave Carlisle at HPE, Manfred Kopisch at SAP. It has been such a pleasure speaking with and learning from the two of you. Such smart people. You certainly know your stuff in terms of the outcome-based economy. I want to thank Thomas Pohl at SAP, who has been tweeting his fingers off here. My goodness. I really appreciate that. We've got all kinds of in- – yeah, we've got somebody named uh, Tulia Capovilla just joined the Twitter stream here. Anyway, thank you to all of you for tweeting. We really appreciate it. Dave and Manfred, you you rock, and I really appreciate it. Hope we get a chance to visit again on Game Changers. Thank you to Kevin Gassman at, at, at Game Changers Radio. It's the business channel of World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Maybe it'll talk to you and say, hey, Dave, what'd you have for dessert last night? We can't, I don't know. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a Game Changer today. Have a great one. I'll be back at 2 p.m. Eastern today with utilities of the future with game changers have a great one bye bye thanks again for tuning in to the future of manufacturing with game changers presented by sap the best run businesses run sap to keep the conversation going tweet your questions and comments to twitter hashtag sap radio Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management